Kawhi alone inside. He's got the breakaway with the touch to the right. Go! Official podcast of your Minneapolis City Soccer Club, brought to you by Summit Brewing Company. Welcome to the People's Pitch Podcast, the official podcast of Minneapolis City Soccer Club. As always, I am your host, Nate, and I'll be joined momentarily by my co-host, John Bizworm, for part two of our interview with John's dad. Uh, If you missed part one last week, you missed... uh, the story of a German immigrant born in a small town, moved to Milwaukee at age 10, and kind of his uh, his experience with soccer from a very, very young age all the way through uh, his U.S. Army days. And now let's jump into part two as John takes his dad through what it was like to be on the other side of the touchline uh, as one of the more successful coaches in Ohio high school history, uh, as well as the father and now grandfather of uh, some soccer playing uh, soccer playing family members. Let's uh, let's go to part two of John's interview with uh, with his dad. Well, when I got back, I, I was stationed uh, again at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which is in the Dayton, Ohio area. And um, what I saw when I first got there was uh, the open area. They have a huge museum there. They have plenty of fields there and then all of a sudden I saw some soccer fields and I informed myself what's going on over there and they had recreational teams primarily mm. and uh, was it like so adult recreation or adult what? recreation yeah, okay. right and so I got into it and uh, was it easy for me to play technically yes you know there were some guys uh, that you know wanted to play, learn soccer. There were a lot of Americans that wanted to get into the soccer thing. Well, it's but... probably like it is today. There's some form-based players who were working in the military and they were stationed there or like, um, you know, at National Cash Register or IBM or whatever that was in Dayton, um, Mead, the paper company. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sure they had some foreign-born guys that were just living in the community that could play. Yes, yes, we did. We did have some foreign guys that were in in the, uh, but again, it was a recreational league. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were lucky, you know, and what the play teams, soccer. yeah, teams we played against. Every now and then, I could recognize a player that mm-hmm. uh, definitely knew his stuff. And you're right, you know, he was. Uh, he wasn't stationed. Some people were stationed there also at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and some were from the local uh, economy. Okay, so um, now we'll, you know we. I'm shortly born uh, after you get back to the states, um, and so now I was kind of want to dive into your coaching background because that's for me a large part of my life was was hitching my wagon to what you were doing as a coach. I know it was it was quite a few years that you coached. So um, you were a girls varsity high school coach, uh, a successful one. I kind of dropped some of your credentials when I introduced you. So you were the Ohio High School um, Girls Coach of the Year in '93, and then ultimately, after a great 16-year career, 
Um, you were recently, a few years ago, inducted into the school sports hall of fame. So tell tell us, um, you know, who you coached, how you got involved in coaching with that program, and then, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter, but some people might want to know, like, what drove you to girl soccer versus boy soccer. Sheer luck, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Sheer luck. Answered uh, an ad in the newspaper. <laughs> Jonathan was born in 1981. Um, now, now you're dating me. Now people know how old I am. <laughs> now I gave away his, yeah, uh, his age. Yeah. Yes. I've been 26 for five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I've been 60 for uh, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. But anyway, Jonathan uh, was born in 1981, and um, some of the players who had children going to this high school in the uh, in the area of Wright Patterson Air Force Base and said, "Andy, you know, why didn't you go coach? You know, you played and you know your stuff, and you know we really could use a new coach." And this one coach, uh, this was in a com- again uh, a suburb community. And uh, they suggested that I, you know, they had a boys' job and a girls' job, and a girls' job, varsity uh, job there. And uh, at first, I kind of turned them down. I said, "Look, I'm number one. I've never coached any women or at all in my life. You know, I've only coached guys. And um, I don't know. Do I want to get back into it? Uh, and of course, I had obviously with my job at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, I was gone yeah. at certain times." So um, after about two years of uh, being uh, constantly uh, harangued by people, harangued, yeah. yes, by uh, these friends of mine, I said, "Okay, I'll go in and take a look." And I went with an uh, went to interview with the athletic director of the high school, and it was a fairly large high school. I don't, do you want me to mention? Yeah, I mean, you the can name, name it. Yeah, it I was, mean, I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna share this with. People who probably maybe played for you, you know, so the the, the world can hear this. So uh, okay. yeah, you can talk about it. Well, it's, it was, not a, it's not a surprise. It's not a <laughs> yeah. surprise. Okay. Well, it was called Beaver Creek High School, and uh, yes, and that name has been misused many times. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but anyway, so I go and interview with the athletic director, and he said, Andy, you know, you're the one we need for the boys you know, get them started as soon as possible. I said, well, you know, when do you practice? When do you do this? Well, we practice. You got to practice at uh, 3 o'clock or 3.30 every time after. I said, oh, wait a minute. I I have a job also at the base. I can't uh, just uh, jump out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's not going to work at all. And he kind of, you know, bugged me about it a couple of times. And I said, look, it's not, you know, I'm doing this as a secondary type of job, not my primary job. And then he said, uh, back then, that's the way they kind of came across. Well, Andy, in that case, how about you coach the girls and you can uh, coach them anytime you want. And I said, come on now. (laughs) And uh, I said, the ladies and so I said, look, let me talk to my wife. I said, I have a brand new son at home. His name is Jonathan. And uh, I don't know. Prince of the Bizworm soccer empire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't know how a wife is going to take this for me coaching high school girls now. Uh, let me go back and talk with her. And my wife said, look, soccer's been your, uh, you know, in your life all your, all your entire life. Go ahead and do it. Give it a try. And so I did. 
you know, and um, my fortune was is that uh, in the four years that they, I'm sorry, it was five years that they played soccer at Beaver Creek, and I think they won like one or two games the per bar year. Was, the bar was low. Yeah, and that I can kind of see where the athletic director said, you know, you do with him whatever you like, you know. And uh, and I did get into ladies. So I call it lady soccers. I don't call it girl soccers anymore. And I think a lot of people ought to do that as well. Uh, and I always call them ladies. I never wanted to treat them as just girls. And um, it was a major change for that program. I mean, I, soccer was not popular because it was a losing uh, team. And so I had to recruit players whenever I had a chance, you know, who never played soccer before in their lives. But anyway, we got enough for to at least get the varsity established. And then uh, in subsequent years, I finally had enough players once we get uh, into the winning records. And we never had a losing record at all uh, while the time uh, that I played there. And and I was I was a tough coach. I mean I uh, uh, I really pushed the technical aspects of the game, and uh, not just the athletic portion, not just your speed. And but I also started telling them that you better be athletically uh, ready. Uh, your conditioning has to be ready before you even try out. And mm -hmm. I used to hand out things that you can do while you're getting ready to try stuff. out, right? Mm -hmm. And and that built, and you know, eventually we built, in, as I said, we built into a JV team and then also a freshman team. And uh, and I always picked uh, a lady assistant coach because you know there was you know. Sometimes there are certain things that you encounter uh, in this case here. That, yeah, know, unfortunately, think, you just, as a male coaching females, that happens. Sure, yes. And, you know, I, and I, many times I was happy that uh, I had a good assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the most of my assistant coaches were former players that graduated from the high school. Which is good to have because it, they know your style. And they know your, they know the system you play, and you know, like ultimately, when you moved on, one of your former players, who was one of your most successful players, took over the program at the time and, and had it for a few years. And we've learned promoting from within is the best way to continue success. So that's maybe that's where I got it from. Yes. No, I, I was so happy that, and I recommended to the athletic director when I left uh, back in. Um, my last year there was in 96 and I left in January 97 and I said you know it her job it's kind of coming that uh, women need to get into the coaching aspect of it also and mm -hmm. I, I really think it's important and one of my former players who came out of Marquette University mm -hmm. that played uh, you know formerly in Beaver Creek and then at Marquette and then uh, came back to Ohio and she got the job mm -hmm. uh, which I was very happy for uh, for that kind of progression to come. Sure. So every coach kind of has a particular style of play that they kind of latch onto or a formation. What's your style and focus that that you use to build that program around and to teach players to to formulate their their role in in your system? 
Well, when I first started there... It was uh, win more than two games? That was your system? Yes, <laughs> win more than two games, but uh, also teach him some soccer. And uh, But my emphasis was, first of all, when I put a team together, uh, first of all, I wanted a, a halfway decent goalie, and I wanted a halfway decent defense. I That's where mm-hmm. I kind of started. And then I thought the next thing was to build up the midfield. So back back to front. Yes, yeah, back to front. And uh, did we need someone to score also? Yes, we needed. And there were a couple of people. I remember you people. had some really good goal scorers. Yeah. And, and, you know, I also looked at the personality of, uh, for example, of, of people that play up front. And these the people that usually play up front were uh, kind of, uh, oh, they kind of thought they knew it all, mm-hmm. you know, were... They want the ball all the time. Yeah, want the ball, bring it to me, I'll take care of things, you know, yep. and they had the speed, and they were a little bit arrogant, and I said, that's what makes a front forward, <laughs> you know, yep. and, uh, but they also had to be able to produce, and... Uh, yeah, you can you, you can be cocky and and produce, but as soon as you don't produce, uh, yeah. you become a cancer, yeah. and, yeah. Bench player. Yeah, exactly, yeah, next person up. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, but I did. I really forced uh, in, in practice the technical aspects. You know, it's just teaching them how to trap a ball. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and actually uh, one of the funny things that um, when uh, I was actually teaching them how to set up a wall, you know, some direct kick uh, in our area in, in the 16-yard area. I said, you know, you got to put a wall together. They never had anything along that line. And when I put the wall there, and they all stood there with their arms across their chest. And I said, what the hell are you guys? I'm sorry, I didn't use hell. I said, what the dickens are you ladies doing out there? I said, well, we watched the the boys, you know, and they always got uh, their hands across their bottom half. They're protecting themselves. Why can't we uh, do that, you know? <laughs> You're like, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go, whatever you need. Yeah, and that was, and I said, no, no never going to happen here, you know. And uh, I always had to take um, uh, health training for players at yeah. the beginning of the season. I asked the... The trainer, uh, a yeah. trainer uh, for the in the state of Ohio there, and her answer was, "Is they can take a hit to the chest and it's not going to hurt. May leave them a bruise, but it's not going to hurt them whatsoever." Well, it's, it's funny you talked about the set piece thing because like you were talking about your technical aspect, but I remember the the due diligence that you had, and I had never seen it before of like setting up set pieces and 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 actually formulating up plays around corner kicks and and direct and indirect free kicks and i think that from my knowledge at the time from what i could tell like at at the at least at the girls high school level i can't really say it for the boys high school level but i I have an idea of how it went for them it was the the most cocky player who thought he could bend it around a wall got it taken every time and it was a direct shot but you formulated strategies around movement off of the ball and uh putting players in and out of the wall Deception, things along those lines. Can you talk a little bit about that and like what, why you, why you brought that in? Well, I, what I realized was when the opposing teams put up a wall, and I expected our player to kind of curve it up over the, the wall and into a corner. That never was happening. It, it, it doesn't. It very rarely ever happens today. You know, it's it's so hard. 
Yeah, and it was it was very difficult. So uh, you know, I needed to kind of come up with something else, and having just pay players take direct shots was no longer gonna be, you know, be helpful to us. And so I started, uh, you know pushing the ball a little bit over, two players behind the ball. Better angles. You know, better angles, uh, get a better open shot at the goal, just, you know, move it a little bit. And, you know, I've seen that happen so often, even in uh, the professional games mm -hmm. where, but, you know, there they can put it over the wall. Uh, right, exactly. But uh, at that time, you know, you needed to have a, a little certain play, trick plays uh, that... Deception, moving the right. chess pieces around a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, there were practices where we practiced nothing but the corners. We practiced direct kicks, you know. Both uh, offensively and defensively. Yes. Yep. yep. And it, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. And I, and I have to do say one thing, in comparison to the boys, girls soccer in high school, the ladies are a lot more mature than the boys in high school there are my coach that i coached with was constantly complaining about how the guys thought that they knew everything and it was so difficult to you know get them to do what the coach wanted etc and uh, there was a little more arrogance involved there whereas when i coached the ladies I, they were so open you know, and I got to the realization, yeah, yes, they are about a year or two more mature than uh, boys are at that level. Probably, you know, an ability to handle pressure, and, you know, even to the heat of a game, and you got to perform, you know, some people can crack under pressure too, and if you're a little bit more mature, and you can handle that pressure, you're, you're more likely to, to perform. So, for me, I love coaching players, um, and I know you did as well, obviously. Um, but but my emphasis was I love giving back to the game, for whatever reason. I don't I don't necessarily feel like I owe the game to give it back. I mean, part of it, but it's not my emphasis. I just love to, you know, develop a concept or a skill set or a tactic, and then teach it, and then really watch it click. And that's the rewarding part for me. What was you know what what's what what are your rewarding pieces about being a coach like what 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 made it so great for you? You know, I sometimes when I watch even high school players now, when I watch them work the ball so well in midfield, you know, or take that attack from one end all the way over to the other side where the guy is standing, the wing is standing clearly open, able to put it from one end to the other, and that person on the other side is able to take that ball down on his feet and, mm -hmm. you know, charge the goal or whatever, you know, those are the things that kind of impressed me, you know, even mm -hmm. at high school or even higher level. And we may talk about the higher levels uh, at this particular point. I'm kind of getting into that. So, so your thing was, it's it's a reoccurring theme from what I'm hearing, and it's something that anyone who I've coached or you know even the guys that I trained with, I trained last night, like the simple technical things that that make the game even more spectacular. Like seeing a player that you're ex trying to explain to them, they need to switch a diagonal ball to switch the the the, the um, emphasis of play and they lace into like a perfectly struck diagonal ball and then the and then the receiver just traps it down to their foot and then they you know then, then it goes mm -hmm. like so um 
Is that am I right? Like yes, really yes. nailing the the simple things. Yes, it, it's so. <laughs> we're, I'm definitely your son because when when I'm when I'm working with higher level players and they're they come from college systems or maybe even pro systems um, or higher level youth soccer, and I ask them to just randomly do passing drills, just simple stuff, touching the ball with you know side to side passing through cones, things along those lines, maybe dribbling through cones. They look at me like I got a horn growing out of my face. And I, I, I have to emphasize to them, it's like, okay, well, let's speed it up. Let's fire balls in. Let's see how good your first touch is. Let's see how accurate your passing is. Because if there's no defender on you, and you can't execute a five-yard pass to a guy who's literally standing still and no one's trying to take the ball from you, uh, and you can't do it then, how am I supposed to trust you when there's people trying to take the ball from you and maybe even trying to hurt you or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, sure. And it, it doesn't click in some players' heads that the technical aspect of it, it's soccer. And even some coaches, like some of the coaches we have on our staff, they look at, they, they look at me like the players do. Like, unless there's a defender involved and you're working on patterns, this stuff doesn't matter. But it does because you can set up passing patterns and angles and triangles and whatever you want and, and throw defenders in there and, and turn up the heat a little bit on a drill. But it goes back to passing, trapping, both feet, awareness, all that stuff you get from doing the simple things. So I'm really glad you said that because now everyone who I've been, who's listening to this that I've been hammering that stuff down on for like three years now, uh, they, they get it. But let's take it into a, another level. So um, you know, we talk, we, you and I talk at length about this, like mostly like once a month, probably <laughs> we, we talk about this and how players in our country are, are just not progressing versus the players that are, are from other countries, whether it be Europe, Asia, Africa. I mean, places where obviously soccer is probably first is I get it. It's it's that's why they're ahead or it started um, at a higher level before it did in the United States. Totally get that. But you look at the women's game here. We were the we were the people who set the bar. Uh, the women's American team has been the gold standard for decades, and now it looks like we're maybe digressing a little bit. What do you think are the reasons for that? I mean, obviously we talk about skills and things like that, but is there are there any other reasons? Is it coaching? Is it tactics? Is it knowledge? Like, what do you think it is? Well, as you know, we have talked often, for example, when I just recently saw the U.S. women's team and seeing, having seen them years and years ago when, you know, they were winning the World Cup, etc., and uh, being very successful against other teams, but they were successful because they were physically much better. Mm -hmm. uh, they Fast, were faster, bigger, faster, stronger. bigger, faster, stronger than some of the other women that they played against in other countries. Now, I'm seeing one of the biggest, uh, to me, what I see is one of the biggest, uh, I guess, negative aspect of the U.S. women's team is their technical capabilities. You'll see a player, and I just watched a couple of these last games. It was against England and uh, Japan. And I, I see a, a player from either the midfield or the back trying to get the ball up to a forward, leading them a little bit, but they just blast the ball forward. No accuracy. No accuracy whatsoever. No touch, no feel. 
you know, to, to get that lift. Perfectly weighted pass. Yeah, yeah, so it just bounce and let that wing go at it who's got speed to no end. And sometimes the passes of the U.S. team are not as good as the passes of the other teams. And, I mean, teams like England, th those people are really getting to be a lot more the way the men's teams are. They're technically so much better, and they're getting better than the United States is. Speed of play is getting faster. Yes. And, and I think the United States now is having problems with some team. You know, and it's not because they have, you know, Marta from uh, Brazil who can trick everybody out of their shoes and, and go <laughs> score a goal. Yep. The whole team seems to be more, you know, and, and the Europeans have that technical growth. Do you think that that is a direct reflection on the fact that the professional game for women in the United States has just come and gone and it's it's always been an afterthought? And, you know, there's there is a professional league here, but it gets... It gets less dollars than the men's the men's league does, which needs to change, right? It's we're getting to the point now where soccer is soccer, whether it's male or female. Correct. And at our highest level, we gotta be pumping money into it. Um, I know it's harder to draw fans to a, a women's you know WPSL gamer than it is MLS. Totally get that. Sponsors are gonna pay more, but there's others. There are, there's there's other ways to pump money into it. I don't I don't want to get into that, but. Do you think that because the because the European teams and um, are now attaching women's teams to their academies, so like Manchester City, Paris, um, you know Chelsea, those those teams now have fully functioning female academies that are ladder up into into their teams. Do you think it's maybe part of that where our college players used to be the the best in the world because they were the ones getting the highest level training, and then now you ladder into Okay, well, why don't we just apply uh, the Europeans? Why don't we just apply our, our men's our men's tactics to to women's teams? Yes, I, I agree personally. I mean, I I just think the European players and other countries, their technical capability is being so much more forced uh, upon our young ladies than we have in the United States. And I, I wish, I mean, do we have the um, the, the athleticism and the speed? you know of our players here yes we have that and the drive and the wanting to win we have that aspect of it but you cannot do it without the technical capability and the understanding of the game mm -hmm. you know and that i think is lacking and i think it's lacking not only in our ladies team i think it's lacking team. on our men's team well i'm glad you mentioned that because i think that one of the things to to know that is very much a real thing is Europe or national level soccer is very cyclical. Like Germany is going through it right now. Like you go through these ebbs and flows of success. Spain went through it. Um, you know the Dutch go th went through it both um, on the men's and women's side. So we, you know, with the men's team, the golden era was pretty much you know ninety six to two thousand two. That was that was the best we were we we've done uh, in that time period. Nearly without a. Torsten Frings handball against Germany nearly in ninety eight uh, in ninety eight being a World Cup semifinalist. Like, can you imagine now if the U.S. national team makes it to a World Cup semifinal? <clears throat> that people would go bonkers. Yes, um, we were that close. We were we were really um, in 02, We were that close. <clears throat> so, with the women's though, 
so then the U.S. national team, like, we were always there, but everyone was kind of catching up to us in our federation. And then when we go to the World Cup or CONCACAF Cup or, you know, Copa America, we get invited to that. We just get our shit kicked in. You know, it was just like, okay, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll get through by one win, one loss, one tie. How many times in a World Cup did the U.S. do that formula, get enough points just to get through, and then maybe squeak out a win, but usually lose? And lose in miserable fashion but with the women they they were the standard they were they were driving through it and they hit their peak and i I equate it to like spain and germany on the men's side they hit their peak and everybody else caught up and then now it looks like they're they're down maybe they aren't down but everyone else is just there and doing it better and then you take the next jump where maybe then for a cycle of players that comes in you're down um because the youth system didn't you know, develop enough players, but eventually it gets there, and then you're on top again. Do you think that is something that could happen with the women, or do you think it's a foregone conclusion that the United States may never catch up to these other countries? I think we can catch up, and we can actually be superior to other countries if we start teaching the more technical aspect from our youth all the way up through our system, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know American parents, and do I? I mean, I watched you, Jonathan, play. I wanted you to win, etc. But I know that winning sometimes is not everything. Mm-hmm. And but here in America, it's win, win. And if you don't win, guess what? You're yeah. no good. Coach is gone. Coach is gone. And so look at our look at our professional levels. <clears throat> if you're not winning, you're out. Yeah, you might even you know. not even get a full season. Right. You're out. You know, not that the fact that you may be bringing your players up and you're developing better players, mm-hmm. you know, that they have the skills and so on. Sure. And, uh, and I think unless we start that from youth on up and start elevating it through high school, through college, and then into the professionals, if we don't do that from the youth on up, mm-hmm. we're never going to get to anything else. We're, and we're only going to be basically... You know, outdone <clears throat> by teams from different countries that do sure. that type of training. I mean, you look at Minneapolis City. We go undefeated last year. We lead the team. We lead the country in scoring. Never thought that was going to happen. So the the winning part of it was great, but we were playing really good soccer. And what and what was nice about it was is like one guy would go down, and the next guy in would be playing that higher level. And and we, the technical pieces were there for us. The off the ball movement, the 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 stellar defense was there. Yeah, do we give up some soft goals? Every team does, but by and large, we we put the pedal down because we were we were ready to go. And and people around our circle think we we're ready to go because we call it the brotherhood. Like we just had a core of players that like liked to play together. They've been playing together for a couple years now. We sprinkle in a few guys that maybe have left and come back. We sprinkle in some new players that get along with them. Um, how much did you see uh, team chemistry in your in your time uh, as a coach? Like, how, how important was that to not only um, add on to that technical piece that you were teaching them, but then it equating into winning because it was a positive environment? Oh, yes. You know, when, when a player gives up on you, you know, um, you have a problem, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, uh, if and teams it, it's the the chemistry in the team is very 
difficult to really develop, you know, mm-hmm. but it has to be developed where players understand each other, you know, and they know what the other player is good at. And so as a result, you know, he, this opposite player that doesn't have the ball knows what this guy is going to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's so critical. And again, it comes into, hey, soccer is played by 11 people and outside of maybe the goalie, not only with the person that has the ball, but the other people are so critical. Where are they moving? Are the guys around him? Or even on the other side of the field, moving into position that gives that guy who has the ball so many opportunities of where to go. Mm-hmm. And just making a pass and saying, man, that was a great pass. Or well, just watching the pass being yeah, made. And like, watching oh, yeah, good job. Exactly. You know, and it's... <laughs> You know, it's got to be, again, and, and then the person who gets the pass, guess what? Then the other people, including the guy who made the pass, gotta has move, got man. to, you know, maybe he's got to be back again in case the guy is, you know, basically, in, you know, uh, basically has the opposition, you know, focusing in on him. At least he's got an open guy again. And right. th- that that in my brain was brought up again from when I was a kid and playing with the Bavarians and what they so much taught me was is that it's the guy with the ball is sometimes not the most important guy. It's all the other guys around him and mm-hmm. what they do. For sure. And that makes the team successful. And by the way, I have seen a number of your games, especially when they're televised, and I, I, I love to watch uh, the Minneapolis soccer team play. Uh, I, I'm... You know, and I enjoy some of the things that they're doing. What did you get to see, two or three games live? Yeah, I think we saw three games uh, when I was here in Minnesota, and I I enjoyed coming to your games, and uh, and I think you you show something to your fans also, you know, and uh, and I, um, do I sometimes agree with Jonathan with what he's saying? (laughs) Well, sometimes we do have some differences about specific players, and we (laughs) talk about specific players, you know, and... uh, uh, and I, and let me put something in for parents, and I we didn't discuss that yet. We'll, we'll, we'll get to parents. Oh, we'll we get will. To okay. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit. So we're we're uh, we're, we're getting near to the end here. So so bear with us. Um, so I want to switch gears to talk about me. Make this all about me for a little bit. So um, you introduced me to soccer, and it was um, in some cases like I, I talked to you before about. It was the best babysitter I ever had because I would you take me to your practices and to your games and it wasn't like you drag you dragged me there like you know uh, sometimes like uh, my son Gus he he knows when I'm going off to play soccer because I'm wearing certain clothes or my bag is by the door and he wants to go and so by no means were you like go play soccer uh, even though you joked about it in the beginning but it, it was it was definitely true like you you would, I could go along with you. Um, can you maybe pretend I'm not here and tell the listeners about how I got started from, from your perspective and, and what you saw in me from a young age? Am I under certain restrictions? Does, <laughs> yeah. What I have to say? Or I'm what? not uh, holding him at, at, at his, uh, his bay here. Like he's not, uh, handcuffed or there's no firearm pointed at him. <laughs> this is the, this is the circle of trust. You can say whatever you'd like. Both positively and negatively. All I can right, take it. I will. Uh, you know when when 
when I started, wanted to get my son into soccer so badly, you know, but he had to enjoy it also. And you know where we enjoyed soccer the most? When we were in our living room in Ohio and we set up two goals when uh, mom wasn't anywhere near. And, uh, you know, we try to dribble against each other and try to put the ball through the doorway or something like that, you know. And, of course, you know, we shot things off of shelves. Uh, knocked the Christmas we tree down. Knocked the Christmas tree <laughs> down one time. We hit the, you know, ball goes into the fireplace. and uh, We broke a, broke a lamp outside. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, but we just kind of got... You know, it was especially during the winter time. We enjoyed doing that little thing, little dribbles, and, little exercise indoors. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then we got outside, and uh, you know, and Jonathan always said, you know, come on, Dad, I want you to, you know, uh, I want to be able to shoot at the goal. And I said, you know, bullshit. You know, you and I are gonna <laughs> dribble against each other. What do you got? You know, what do you got? And we'd be doing up and down our driveway, back and forth. You know, and every now and then, yeah, the ball was going into the street and we're madly running after it etc and not doing it properly i guess safely as we should have yeah but, safety uh, wasn't in our concern back yeah, in the no, 80s <laughs> yeah you're right it wasn't uh, at that time but um you know those were just the things that it just got to be kind of fun to get into the sport mm -hmm. and i think it's you know it's so important and i know jonathan has mentioned this to me before about um uh, about teams, you know, and how much should they play? You want me to get into that a little bit? Uh, sure. Before you get into that real quickly, um, was, you know, so you're talking like you introduced me to the game. Mm -hmm. Was there a point in time or anything that I did where it clicked to you? Like, obviously we know I, it's my passion. We've talked about it multiple times. Um, but was there anything that like clicked with you? Like, like, cause I, I mean, I played on advanced teams and I, you know, like I, I, I feel like I still can play at a high enough level sometimes. Um, but like I, I can, I can put my money where my mouth is with the soccer ball. Was there anything like at an earlier age that just like clicked where you were like, he actually may be good at this? Well, when my son used to come to our practices all the time and, uh, one of my rules were for boys being, when the boys team were finished, you know, the uh, direction was, now guys, get the hell off the field. I don't want you anywhere near your girlfriends or anything like that. <laughs> go someplace else, go to another part of the area there. And Jonathan was with with me at the time, and he always used to like to kind of hang around the guys, the, the boys soccer players. And one time, uh, in practice, all of a sudden I look over and what the dickens are they doing with my son? Here they were, they were practicing how to do a scissors kick. And I don't know, you were what? How old uh, at the time? Maybe uh, uh, six or seven. Six or seven years old. And uh, he had a growth spurt since then. At that time, he was uh, just, um, you know, like a little sausage kid, uh, little worst kids. We call them uh, shin dribblers because yeah. your, your legs aren't long enough to fully dribble a soccer ball. It just rolls <laughs> yeah. off your shin. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I mean, here he's doing, literally doing scissors kid and put the ball into the goal. You know, I mean, I just... I, said, I remember that. God, you've got to be kidding me. And they were trying to do all kinds of, you know, neat tricks and so on. But my, you know, as far as when my son started playing, and I, I could see when he started playing, um, you know, three years old, he started getting involved. And 
he he was you know he wasn't tall physically strong you know but he was so quick and could move with the ball and loved to control the ball around him and and that kind of comes from being around a ball all the time you know making playing. it an extension of yourself yeah instead yeah. of being uncomfortable yeah. with it right so the um so another another thing i want to talk about so like part of what I go through as far as like identifying um, talent. I look at people who would just like are, are are organically able to translate what they watch to what they can do. And you kind of mentioned that. I remember I remember the story you told for sure. But I also spent like, and you you talked before about how we spent time together, hours together, just playing soccer. But I also spent hours by myself in the backyard playing soccer. Not because I didn't have friends. <laughs> it was like in the summers you'd be home from school and at that time soccer camps weren't really a thing. They were, but not really like they are today. But I would, you know, put a trash can out there and try to kick a bag of balls into a trash can from different distances with different feet. And, and do you think that that, that type of uh, creativity and free play thinking like it does translate because that, that's one thing that like Dan Hudeman and I talk about all the time he, he tells the story when we were last time we were on the show together he told the story about how he, he came over for the first time to you know a play date with you know middle school friends and I'm like okay here's what we're gonna do so we're gonna start out here and we're gonna kick like five balls with our left foot and then five balls with our right foot and they're gonna go you know between these gates and and he was like you know mom can you can we go now can, can you come back and pick me up like what am I doing here but like we we talk about how that type of stuff just it translated into our critical thinking on the field you know he's a goalkeeper I I translate it more being a field player but do you think that there's a positive to that or was I just a mad scientist in the making no play playing doing things with your friends etc with no other people around in soccer using a soccer ball is is I think it's very important what what do you see and you know when you see in Brazil or Argentina you see these kids playing uh, you know poor kids back uh, you know and they're on some street you know they're and, and they're taking the ball uh, you know bring it up behind them over above them trapping it boom like that and you're thinking like god you know where have they gotten all this you Kid know six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know but they're doing it in a, in a concrete you know no and, or they're doing it up against the wall and i remember that as a kid too you know yeah. just when i was by myself you know and trying to get the left foot and the right foot to do things mm -hmm. uh and believe me that's where I sometimes see, even in our professional teams, not that build, not all the players have left feet and have right feet. Yeah, can do things with right feet and with left feet. So we call it the kickstand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Nate and I talked a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about parents and how um, some parents are just terrified that their kids won't develop into a perfect player, and it leads to some questionable behavior like yelling at a coach or a ref. Um, coaching from the stands, um, directing the, the kids. We call it joysticking, like a video game. They're joysticking their kids from the stands. Um, and the, the first thing these kids do when they make a mistake is look at their parents instead of their coach or, or instead of not looking at anyone, just getting going back to playing. They, they're looking for validation or, or, or waiting to be yelled at. What are your thoughts on, how, uh, on this and, and like, how do you think it affects development? Well, I want to let... Um... 
you people that listen to this know, did I make some parent mistakes? The answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> did we come back from a certain game and he's sitting in the back seat? he's all sweating and he's drinking whatever he had left and just wants to be left alone and I'm sitting driving away and Jonathan, you know, why didn't you do this when you did that? Why did you do this, etc. you know? And I'm, all I got was, Dad, leave me alone, you know? And, I know I screwed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here it is for the parents, leave your kids alone. If you want to talk to them about what they're doing on the field, save it for another time when they're more relaxed and you're relaxed and, and you know, talk equally, not just telling them. Because in most cases here, guess what? Do we have a lot of parents that have been really successful in, in their lives in soccer? No. There's maybe some parents that have never had any soccer experience, etc. Mm -hmm. And and they're probably the ones that are the loudest from the sideline. Yes, and I, you know, in talking with to the coach, uh, I was fortunate. I, I didn't have very many parents. I had maybe one or two in my 16-year career that came and talked to me. And, and at the very beginning of the season, I always told uh, the parents, and I always wanted to meet the parents before the season. And I said, here are some of the rules for the parents. Okay, don't do this. Don't do that with a player. But at the same time, you know, and if you think I'm doing something wrong with your son, daughter, whatsoever, let's talk about it separately sometime. Yeah, never in front of the kids. Never talk in front of the kids. And uh, But for the most part, you know, the coaches got the job for a particular reason, probably because they are better at the sport. And though you don't agree with the coach, and guess what? There are sometimes I didn't agree with Jonathan's coach or my daughter's coach. You know, did I ever say a word to that coach? No. Did I ever want to? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I figured I need to give the coach the respect, you know, what he's teaching. So kind of stay out of it a little bit and here's another point we had about talk when to play soccer all the time as a youth mm -hmm. and there were we played our soccer in fall along with the boys in high, school. in high school and after that was over with some said you know coach uh i got a you know i got a chance to play on the the varsity team for basketball and they're in the winter time but I know some of the, my teammates are going to go play soccer ball indoors. And, and I don't know what I should do. Uh, I said, how much you like basketball? Oh, you know, I played basketball for many years too, but I kind of picked soccer. My answer was, go play basketball. You don't have to be playing, you know, all year long, fall, winter, and in the summertime or in the spring. Now... When the weather's good outside, then I think now it's coming more so that you develop those players who play, let's say, in the spring, in spring leagues, and then play again in the fall. They do better. Mm -hmm. And there I think it's it's still important. But then if they need in the wintertime to take a break from soccer, let them take a break. It, it will not hurt them whatsoever. And I've seen players that play you know, round and round all all years, and, and by the time they get up to high school, they're so sick of it. Burnt out. And burnt out. Or they or they get to college and they're on a scholarship. Yes. And they hate it. Yeah, exactly. So um, a couple more questions. We're almost done here. So 
seeing that I have two boys and I hope one day they share our passion of the sport. Um, I, I think the, the, the groundwork's there organically right now. Um, what do you think us as parents of young kids can do to best support a child if they're interested in soccer? Like, what should we be doing to foster that versus making it a job like you were saying, like it's in getting them burnt out? Well, the first thing, parents, you know, when you lay your baby down into the crib, etc., get a soccer ball and kind of wave it around uh, them so they kind of get the idea. Yeah, put or, the, uh, the game on always when they're in the room. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, hang it from a ball from their crib and let them do everything. Uh, no, it's, you know, you can't force it on your children. They may be, you may have been a soccer player all your life and gotten into it and your children may say, Dad, I'm not interested in the sport. You can't, you know, you, you, know, you can't force that into children. And I, I say, you know, if they see it and like it and play, that's one thing. Get them into it, you know. But if, if they don't have the interest, don't force it as a parent. You'll only be unsuccessful at that. What specifics can parents do for the kids that really do want it? The ones that do want it, I would say look for somebody that's training them technically, mm-hmm. that has the technical capability. The technical capability. Yes, yeah. it's so, to me, it's so, so important. And that's whether you're a, a goalie, whether you're midfield, forward, whatever, mm-hmm. defender. You know, there's so many things that you've got to be able to do. And if you get that as, on a young age, and that continuously is important all the way through your career. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I just, you know, and I, I, I don't know how much to say. I know we've kind of beaten to death saying, you know, aspect technical it's, aspect is important. It's, it's nailing the five-foot view before you get the 10,000-foot view. Yes. So this is a, a question from, that came from uh, my, my wonderful co-host, Nate. For, for all the parents and coaches out there who um, who follow the game, have kids in it, or people who are just listening to the show, what coach out there right now is, uh, you know, do you think that, that uh, brings the best approach and exhibits the perfect mix of tactics and temperament and, you know, a personality? A lot of coaches now are personalities because they're, they're putting out in front. Well, back in the day, they were kind of just behind the scenes doing the training. Who, who out there... Do you see that's doing it right? In high school level or professional? Professional probably? level. Because these folks will probably know some names or some teams that, if you don't know the exact names. Well, let me put it this way: I haven't seen anybody yet on the, on the, uh, professional level yet. I'm, every time I see a team are playing, even the men, sometimes I'm thinking, like, God, you know, you got a forward, you're giving him the ball. And he doesn't know how to trap the damn thing. He can't turn around and give a decent pass. You all know who he is, uh, you know. Yeah. I'm thinking, how is he playing out there, you know? And they all thought, well, this guy's got the absolute best rocket shot. He's right. He's got the best rocket shot. But that's not everything, you know. And uh, he, the package isn't there. Uh, as far as coaches go, I mean... And I've seen coaches uh, that uh, have been for the Minneapolis soccer team. And, and you know, sometimes they're not out there uh, into their players, you know, running up and down the sidelines, screaming at them. When coaches don't do that, I think it's very good. Okay. you got to save it for uh, when 
players will actually listen. Mm -hmm. Running up and down the field, not very important. You know, and, and I've seen your coaches are pretty much held back, you know. Now, when halftime comes, do you need to put your, <laughs> you know, point forward? Yes, yeah. you do, you Prince know. That. Yes, that's when you put do, you know. And as I mentioned to Jonathan, for me, halftime always, for the first couple of minutes of halftime, don't even say anything. Let the players get a drink. Let them relax a little bit, you know, uh, get them settled down, and then they have a tendency to listen a little bit more. Absolutely. So I think what Nate was getting at is, like, are you, like, a Jose Mourinho guy, a Joachim Lowe, or, like, a, um, you know, uh, at Liverpool, uh, what's his name, the old Dortmund coach. I don't know why it's escaping me. Um, Jurgen Klopp, like, those type of guys. Are any of those guys, like, from what you see, doing things right? I mean, Jurgen, if you want a guy who's not running up and down the sidelines, Jurgen Klopp's not your guy. That guy's dancing in the stands when his team scores. But um, was there any coach um, from a professional standpoint or a national team coach that maybe growing up or as you know over the years that you were like, that guy's doing it? Do you remember the Kaiser for Bavarians, the Bayern, FC Bayern? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Remember his name? Uh, uh, Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer. I like Beckenbauer as a coach more than anybody that I've seen. Now, let me put it this way. I, I can't tell what's going on on the scenes, you know, watching TVs, etc. It's pretty hard now, yeah. It's pretty hard to make a, you know, but I, I always kind of liked him what he did because he knew how to do it, you know, as a player. He was always more relaxed and settled down with the game of soccer. And you know what the one, uh, the French coach, uh, used to play in the French national team. Blanc? No, not Blanc. Uh, uh, he played in the World Cup. Oh, Zidane. Zidane. Yeah. Loved Zidane. He settled the ball so well. And yeah, now he he's a coach. a coach. Yeah. And guess what? See how successful his team is? Um, almost immediately. Yes. And then when he left, look where Real Madrid's at now. Yes. People say it's maybe Ronaldo leaving, but... No, no, no. I, I, it's I, Zidane, for yep, sure. Zidane, yes. So I think that's your answer, Nate. I think Zidane is... Right now. Was, right now it was doing it right. Well, Dad, I can say that I owe you almost everything from a soccer perspective. Player, coach, getting me involved in the game, developing the soccer club with my friends here and what it is. And, and for that, thank you so much. Uh, <clears throat> it was awesome to – we could sit down and chat. I'm, I'm pleased you were here, and I'm, I'm happy that our listeners, although you know we're looking at, oh, man, about – just under an hour and a half, but hey, when you yeah. have a good conversation going, you, you just let the you let the uh, the recording go. So uh, I'm happy that folks are going to get to listen to to this, and uh, thank you again for for being on, and thank you for being a, a member of our club. Can I just say one more thing, Jonathan? Just in case uh, you don't agree with Jonathan on anything, don't be afraid to give me a call. I'll fix you up then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Dad. All right, Jonathan. Another great segment, and all in all, I would say a great interview for the Bizworm, Bizworm family to hold on to for, for years to come, John. I think oh, it's sure. super cool that you have something to, you know, to play for your kids as, as they grew up. If they're, if Gus and Freddie are still into soccer, to say, like, this is where it all comes from. Listen to it from your, um, from your <coughs> grandpa's, in your grandpa's own words. It's pretty cool. 
Right, and and they can they can get a little taste of the beginning when he was like, "I did everything in my power to make sure my kid played soccer." <laughs> Some of that stuff he said was so funny when that question, like, "What do you do?" He starts talking about like, "We'll make sure you're waving a soccer ball in front of their face." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it couldn't, it can't hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to as your dad was talking about, um, he, you and your dad talked about how he developed set pieces. And strategized around that, that that was something that he really gravitated towards as a coach, as a ladies coach uh, in Ohio. And it feels to me like that interest and attention to detail, especially when it comes to set pieces, ended up running in the family because you love, (laughs) you said you have a photographic soccer memory. You love talking about set pieces. You love getting clever and designing your own set pieces. If City can score on a set piece that, that you guys have blocked out and worked, it's like it makes your day. It makes the game. Well, I, I, there's a couple things that I took away from this. One was how innovative, at least in the, the women's game, my mm-hmm. dad was um, when it came to a lot of things. And I, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we move forward here. But from a set piece perspective, if you if you boil down to um, our U.S. Open Cup teams that, that you know I was in charge of and, or I was in charge of with like Dan and a couple other guys like Warner that, and, and Cole Erickson that helped out or even Dustin Brandon, when we ran set plays like off corner kicks and things like that, we, we, we really were always open and it was really just a missed execution on the kick taker for putting it where the guys were going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it, when it came down to what my dad was doing, he was really just like I mentioned in the interview, he was really just moving chess pieces around the board to try to optimize opportunities to score. Yeah. Because he, he, you know, like even in the game today, you know, and I, I joked briefly in our conversation that like the difference between what the boys team was probably doing is the guy who thought he was the best player on the field s- stood behind the ball and tried to curl it around the wall. And that never happened. Usually just know? went straight at it. Yeah. Or like he puts it in the parking lot. Well, you see that every day anyway in the, in every professional league is the guy that thinks he's the best shooter or that the team thinks is the best shooter. Right. S- stands over the ball and just boots it when really it's like. The really success, the like Jack. You'll never say that Trippier is the best, the best shot on that Spurs team, but goddamn, on the free kicks he can curl them. Right, but I mean that's a one one out of a hundred player, right? Yep. But what my dad was doing was was moving moving um, players. You know, putting people in the wall it was the first time I ever saw offensive players in the wall, or or offensive players. Um, you know distracting the wall by shading in front of it you know putting up their own wall of players that that had some level of movement around it and there was some sleight of hand involved in it and i i like you said i love that shit mm-hmm. you know because it's like you you practice it and people are like this is never gonna work and then it works and you're like they're like holy cow we let's do another one you know and and how many times in a game do you get a free kick opportunity where it's you know like like we were saying from a direct shot it's possible you know i remember it, in madison was it lance gasper what was that his name yeah yeah and he scored off of a free kick opportunity and you were just so psyched about that because it was like you were like just how we drew it up exactly well, right. where he needed to be with the volley it, it was and you it never was... would have expected like an outside back i can't remember if he played left or right but to for that guy to be in that position and be able to score off that opportunity, but that was how you drew it up, right? And to not to to beat the the horse dead here, but like when you draw those things up, it's usually like the second and third option 
that that exe- that if if executed correctly are the ones that perform because in in the modern game so many people are focused on where the ball is and you know my dad talked about it with how there were certain practices where they just learned how to move off the ball mm-hmm. and you know other teams can't combat that because they're so focused on the round object and i think it, it, in set pieces it's even more so than through the run of play that if if you're if you're if you're causing misdirection or moving people around in different places where others just aren't expecting it or not paying attention yeah. you will execute again going back to what your dad said he really valued about some things that his Bavarians coaches were teaching him was like, you need to learn how to move when you don't have the ball. You need to learn mm-hmm. how to move off the ball um, before you play a game or before you play a competitive game. I'll give you a perfect example of it. At training on thir- last week Thursday, we're playing 11s and uh, a ball was, was like played into a winger and I watched the opposite side winger just kind of stand there. And I'm thinking does that guy not want to find the ball? Like all that guy had to do, I'm not going to name any names. All that guy had to do was a simple diagonal run and, and yell, you know, as loud as possible for it. And the defense would have never been able to catch him. And a simple pass would have sliced up four defenders. Yeah. And it's like, or not only, not only that, but at least put yourself in the position for a rebound. If the, if someone takes a shot. Right. Exactly. Just because the play is not on your side of the field. Don't just stand around. So if you're a, a young soccer mind out there and you're listening to this, like what you do off the ball is, and, and we'll get into a little bit when we talk about our player announcement and it's why I, I put that anecdote in. There are certain times in a game where your simple movement, whether you get the ball or not, is can be so dynamic that it creates other opportunities for people and we just don't do that anymore. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's baffling to me. You know, like I played a deep line midfielder and I rarely ever moved off the ball because it just wasn't – I didn't have the opportunity to. But every now and then when you just take off and you make a darting run like through the defense, then they're not expecting it. It creates either space or a scoring opportunity, and you just got to do it. Yeah, you just got to fuck with people's minds, man. Mm-hmm. So your dad's takes, once you got into it, uh, your dad's takes on U.S. soccer development were really interesting that in general the United States players are missing a a technical capability and an understanding of the game you know you're talking about the the touch on the ball uh, field vision those kind of things and there's something to be said for a culture like his or like others where kids grow up playing in the street and how those kids develop I think we mentioned it last week that there is a soccer IQ that you can't that you don't just get like if um if like he says Americans are, you're only focused on winning, right? Do you, mm-hmm. I mean, do you, first of all, do you agree with that? And how do, how does America get to a place where we emphasize that less? And it's really about developing that IQ and that feel for the game, whether it's the feel, the feel on the ball, the feel of the pass, the, the vision of the field, things like that. Well, it's interesting. So last summer after city season was over, I had, you know, some, some free time because <laughs> I wasn't doing all city stuff. And it, it was sad because we're playing in the national final, but I actually was approached by, by Ian Smith, Steve. And he was like, Hey, I'm trying to get ready for my tryouts. You know, can you develop some sessions and we run through some things? And I was like, absolutely, man. So we, we, you know, two, three days a week, we got together and there was obviously no defenders around. There was, there was nothing 
to oppose him from execution. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was, you know, moving the ball in and out of cones and then and turning and, and having to have a perfectly weighted pass in between a gate. And, you know, Steve is a good soccer player. And there was a lot of mis-execution there because either he was tired from going through all the cones and all the, you know, purposeful um, interruption that was was thrown at him. But the final execution of that pass wasn't there. And I, like when I grew up, it was a lot of just like passing. You know, when, when I was playing on my own, it was a lot of like, can I can I pass the ball through those trees? Can I can I, you know retrieve all the balls I missed on the goal and can I can I pass them back to the, the, the same spot you know and you have to work on that feel and that just general sense of weight with a soccer ball on how much you need to hit it versus how much you don't and and we just how many times do you watch the soccer game Nate and you're like a guy overcook or undercooks a pass and you're like that's a, there's no one no one mark no one guarding you why, why can't you execute that <laughs> Every week when I watch Arsenal, you know, and there, right. <laughs> and and there's, you know, I, I, I have the opportunity to to observe a lot of different coaching techniques and tactics with my position at City and how we've had a couple different types of coaches in and out. And there's some that lean heavily on on needing to to replicate game type movements. And there's some that are like. If our guys could just trap and pass better, they're, when you insert a defender in there, the execution's that much higher. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I tend to agree with. I don't disagree that you don't have to replicate game-like instances, but you also have to sharpen your tools, man. Yeah. You, can't have a, you can't have a dull axe if you're trying to chop a tree down. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> um, you and, so you and your dad had a lot of the same tendencies as youngsters, it sounded like just playing, trying shit out, practicing by yourself, like you said, like you just said, you know, just like making games up for yourself to to make yourself better one way or the other. Was that something that um, that like rubbed off on you based on things he was telling you? Or is that like some sort of a genetic ingrained obsession with soccer and playing it in any form possible? I think it's both. I mean, there was times where my, you know, we'd be kicking a ball around in the backyard, and like you said, I'd have to beg him to come out there with me and play as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Um, where, you know, we would, you know, we'd, we'd, there'd be a lot of one on one, you know, and, and I'm not an off the ball, beat the defender type guy, but I was, I was forced to be that person when we would play against each other. And, you know, obviously he's bigger and stronger and quicker at that point. Um, but he would, you know, he would, encouraged me to beat him and obviously he'd lay off the pedal until I got older and I could beat him, you know? Um, But you know, his, he didn't have to tell me, no, here you want to cut back and use your left foot. You know, he would organically allow me those lanes where Mm -hmm. I would have to do it or I'd lose the ball and I didn't want to lose the ball. But there was also times too, where, you know, he talked about how we used to break things around the house. That's absolutely true. I mean, I remember vividly my, my mother, my mother almost in tears as we knocked the Christmas tree down one year and <laughs> smashed a bunch of ornaments. <laughs> um, we, you know, we broke lamps, windows, we broke all sorts of stuff. And it was just because we were just free playing soccer and, and just having fun doing it. And, and I, I don't think that there's another way that you can ingrain obsession in something than, than that environment. I think just being able to see 
your dad, you know, someone who usually you don't share an interest with as a child, mm-hmm. you know, experience the same amount of joy at something that you are, you know, like being able to share that with them and, and be able to kick around and like see that he's got the same reactions to, to how things are going or to the things that he's doing or the things that you're doing that you are is, is pretty powerful stuff. Well, I remember one, at one, there was one instance, we, we didn't talk about it, but there was one instance where he went to like the national coaches convention. And I, and I know it's, it's similar in structure now as it used to be, but I remember they handed out like a, like a, he went to like a, a breakout session and it was all about like, um, uh, creativity and they handed, they literally handed out a book and I actually think I still might have it somewhere. And it was a, a book about how to pull off moves in a one v one situation, <laughs> okay. And he brought, I, yep. Well, go ahead. And he brought that home, and it was like, "This is how you do a Cruyff turn, and this is how you do like this move and that move." And and he, you know, he he showed it to me, and you know, I I, I you know, I'd hide it under my pillow and read it at night, yeah. kind of thing. And and it was like he didn't have to tell me, like he he just introduced me to this thing that I was I didn't know about yet because I was I was too young, but. We, we would practice those. And when I remember we, we were playing like our one-on-one battles in like a living room setting and I would pull something off, he would, he'd call it out by the name that was in the book. Mm-hmm. And it just like started to become like secondhand nature for me. I got to get a hold of one of those books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably, That's so sweet. I, it's like, I wonder, I wonder if I still have it. It's like uh, when you think about like every kid has a book that they obsess over, whether it's like, I'm going to learn every dinosaur and they've or, just got this dinosaur. Or trucks. Book. Yeah, right? It's like <laughs> yours is how to execute a Cruyff turn. <laughs> Maradonas and shit. <laughs> yeah, like how to rainbow the ball over defender that mm-hmm. never happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, one la- So last thing here before we, uh, before we wrap up on this. It was interesting to me to hear in the end, near the end there, that while he really does value his experience growing up in a free play environment, um, his best advice is to develop those technical skills early. And I think he he looks really fondly back on, it sounded like he looks really fondly back on growing up in Germany and the way that he learned how to play and his friends that he would play with and that kind of emotional experience. But when mm-hmm. he really approaches, when he really thinks about the game from a coaching perspective, from a, coaching perspective, from a technical perspective, like what really uh, offered him success on a lot of levels, it's it's those technical skills, like you like you said, it's the five foot view um, rather than the ten thousand foot view. So, can you expand on that for me a little bit? Like reconcile those potentially conflicting viewpoints. Well, yeah, that's a that's a loaded question, but um, I'll give, I can give you an example. I on on Thursday at our our last training session, we were just going through some passing patterns and some like some touch technique patterns. Um, unopposed with from defenders so Mm -hmm. it was just like just literal like line passing drills and um and ao is kind of nursing an injury so he was out doing some physical therapy and i was just kind of standing by him and and he was like he's like this is the shit we need to do he's like i'm i'm an adult and i go to work and then i go play soccer and i never get to practice this stuff and it's so valuable and 
the guys who were on my open cup teams, like it was 30 minutes a day in practice with doing like three cone drills with a partner and like working on volleys and touches and trapping and, and like just moving a ball, you know, mm-hmm. two rotations and passing and, and, and hitting it through lanes and things like that. And, and a guy who's plays at this NPSL level is like, I, I'm starved for that. So there's a desire for that, and it, it does work. You know, if you can master that stuff, it becomes second nature. But like I mentioned earlier on, the 10,000-foot view is how do you apply that into a game-like setting? And I also see that there's an importance to that, and I mentioned that. But you have to learn. It's, it's like you have to learn how to drive the car before you get your license, right? Mm-hmm. And that's no different than playing soccer. You have to learn how to play it before you get good at it. And, you know, there's a, a famous story that I tell about how a, a player I won't name who was within our system at one point said, like, what do I need to do to take it to the next level? And I was like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm 25, 26, whatever he said. And I said, well, what you need to do is invent a time machine and go back to when you were 10 years old and learn how to pass and trap with your other foot instead of the one that you're dominant with. And then maybe you can regrow up in a totally different soccer <laughs> journey and be a pro soccer player. And he looked at me like, who, what the fuck do you think, who the fuck do you think you are? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I answered your question, you know, like I'm just being honest. It's, it's what you wanted, honest feedback. So I gave it to you, but it's absolutely true. It, it There's no player at the highest level who can't use both feet. Mm-hmm. Some, some like, like R and Robin are so world-class with one foot that they don't necessarily need to use the other one, but it doesn't mean that he can't. So it, you have to learn how to play those, uh, the game with the fundamental skills as sharp as possible in order to be successful. Huh. Well, I mean, John, I think first of all, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Thanks to your dad for taking the time to sit down and, and record this, this interview. I think there's so many, I really loved it. It's it's super heartwarming. There's just so many great anecdotes peppered throughout. There's you can tell that your dad has a true love for the game, a true passion for it, and and he's just throughout the whole thing really excited to be able to share this, share these with you, share these stories with you, absolutely, share his viewpoints with you. Um, if you missed last week's episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to it. Um, it's he, where he talks about kind of growing up with the game, how he. Grew up in Germany, moved to Milwaukee, uh, and all the way through joining the military and what that, what soccer looked like when you're in the in the army in Vietnam, um, mm-hmm. you know during and the then Vietnam how he, War. And then how he how he applied it to being a coach. Yeah, I mean a, that, a successful coach. Yep, I mean I think that's just you know it all it all kind of flows into this to this segment when he starts talking about coaching. I really I really do like it. Um, <laughs> I think uh, again, hopefully. Hopefully he we hopefully we get to talk to him together one one of these days next time next time he's around because there's just some maybe this summer when when he's when oh, he's yeah up he'll for be back game. this summer yeah absolutely he's just a, he's just a great dude to talk to and he's got a ton of stories I'm sure um, but... <laughs> yeah there are many we didn't get into <laughs> thanks again to, <laughs> thanks again to you and your dad oh yeah absolutely I thought it was awesome and uh, I'm 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 really glad I could share this with everybody and thus ends tonight's show. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Summit Brewing. Uh, thanks to John and his dad uh, for, for being on the show as well. It is almost spring. That means it's just about Maybach time, my friends, my German friends know. This sippable <laughs> yet strong set of suds is going to quench your thirst while it helps you forget about the snow that just won't go away. 
Summit, a more meaningful brew since 1986. If giving back to the community means a lot to you, it is time for you to give to the club that gives back. Minneapolis City is a 501c3 that provides a safe, reliable, and fun environment for young people to play the beautiful game. Look for us all summer, spring, fall, maybe even the winter, playing with kids in parks and community centers around the city and consider a tax-deductible donation to what is a true city-focused organization. Uh, we just talked about the Harpo's match. Minneapolis City, NPSL, plus U23 schedules are out, uh, including that Harpo's match, and they are packed with goodness, and there is more goodness to come. Now is the right time to grab that membership. It is the best deal in soccer for only $80. You are going to get 10 NPSL home games, 7 U23 games, at least one uh preseason exclusive preseason friendly a membership scarf a membership card that's going to get you deals on summit at our official game day bar palmers so much oh there's i'm out of breath there's too much too much that it offers visit mplscitysc.com and make it happen for yourself send us mail hey no mail lately uh actually we have uh one in the hopper that we never from from resident content generator Bryn. oh no um, shit that we haven't we haven't addressed, but well, we'll we'll get to that soon, Bryn. Promise. Pile pile it on. It's easy. You got to hit us up on Twitter at the People's Pitch, but most people do it through email at mcscpodcast at gmail All of your questions and comments and your concerns are welcome. But if you really have concerns, complain to the club at mplscitysc. And that's all for this week. Once again, we're going to leave you with our house MC Miles Stockman Willis aka malaise i am nate that is john thank you again to mr bizworm make sure to get those memberships friends to get to that harpo's match in april and you got so y'all see the real you yeah boo i found you so don't ever frown when loneliness is around you i'ma show you that someone should crown you not clown you but pursue virtue would never hurt you critical in distance touches digital biblical till death love is unconditional telling us we're a team and not two individuals for you i give my spleen the spiritual and the physical loving what is fragile isn't always fixable but i see what's invisible see it affects visuals grab my hand hold it we gon' think the unthinkable i promise we will float that our boat's unsinkable i promise that i'ma drown in you drown let you drown in me reveal the recipe you i love to overfeed i love it let's proceed slowly not go bad like moldy ravioli rigatoni girl i'm free falling for you still temptation follows free just tell me when you fall for me please just tell me when you fall free girl i'm free falling for you still temptation follows free just tell me when you fall for me please just tell me when you fall Temptation's about to give in, but I'm staying true. true. If I sin, may I be forgiven for a few. few. What we got to lose? Nothing. You just gotta listen. listen. Such a good girl. Great. Just made a bad decision. One, one and done. She looking fine. Nothing missing. But got my hands tied like I'm the villain. Evil. Only swallows pride, but I'm sometimes kidding. Finger liquor kitty. After, be the kittens. Cute shit. Kiss me softer than a baby's grip. New sense of high when she bites her lower lip. 
if she quit Make my heart skip, then snip When we're together like ice cream mixed with some mint Pepper, shawty had to rescue my respiratory yeah. Wants a man, who's a man that is mandatory Only without her off the pad, like I never met with Dory Matter. Help her write her story, take the qualms on her quarry uh. Girl, I'm free, falling for you Still, temptation follows free Just tell me when you fall for me, please Just tell me when you fall Girl, I'm free, falling for you Still, temptation follows free Just tell me when you fall for me, please Just tell me when you fall as the rollie, always be my plus one. Shotty is my bogey, in it for the long haul, not for the trophy. Every day, feeling greater than Tony. Falling for her, and I think she falling for me too. I hope falling like two V's, make a double U. Type of dude to build you up and make the rubble move. Type of dude to have my phone out all in front of you. Only cause you got my back. Presence always sets the mood, never starts any trouble without any proof. No problems if there was, make the puzzle poof, lap it up. Goofballs, you should see the spoof. Girl, I'm free, falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall free. Girl, I'm free, falling for you. Still, temptation follows free. Just tell me when you fall for me, please. Just tell me when you fall. Free.